Grace and peace to you from the one who is and who was and who is coming. Our text for our sermon is the gospel lesson, Mark chapter 13, verses 32 through 37. No one knows about that day or hour, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son of Man, but only the Father. Watch, be alert and pray, because you do not know when the time will come. It's like a man going away on a journey. When he left his home, he put his servants in charge and assigned what each one was to do. He also commanded the doorkeeper to keep watch. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know when the owner of the house is coming, whether in the evening or at midnight or when the rooster crows or early in the morning. If he comes suddenly, do not let him find you sleeping. What I say to you, I say to everyone, keep watch. Brothers and sisters in Christ, keep watch dominates today's sermon text. God had promised Adam and Eve the Savior who would crush the serpent's head. And they kept watch. But Cain, Cain didn't. Murdered his sibling who was keeping watch. The lineage of Cain after that seems to be one of complete unbelief. Seth is born. People begin to gather together and call upon the name of the Lord, keeping watch for the coming Savior, for the incarnation of our Lord. But we get to the time of Noah, and Noah and his sons are the only ones who are found to be keeping watch. After the flood... We're told more about the coming Savior, that he would be a descendant of Shem, Noah's son. But you know, fast forward to the time of Abram. You and I know him later as Abraham. He's not doing a very good job of keeping watch himself, although he'll be the father of believers, because God calls him out of idolatry. Fast forward, Jacob and Esau, his grandsons. Esau could care less about keeping watch for the coming Savior. Jacob has those 12 sons. The coming Savior is to come out of Judah who has stopped keeping watch and he has intercourse with what he thinks is a temple prostitute that turns out to be his daughter-in-law. Fast forward to the time of David. We find out more about this Messiah and that he is a king that David's throne foreshadows the incarnate Savior who is king of all creation and David slips keeping watch when he looks out one night on the top of his roof and sees Bathsheba bathing and thinks to himself, hubba hubba. Nathan has to come and, and call him out and, and he's woken up again and he keeps watch. But the people of Israel stop keeping watch. God sends the Babylonians. We've covered that story. Fast forward to the time when Jesus is born. The wise men were keeping watch. The shepherds were keeping watch. Mary and Joseph were keeping watch. But we find as Jesus grows into adulthood, the Sanhedrin, the ones who are supposed to be pointing to the coming Savior, they're not keeping watch. They have no doubt that Jesus is sent from God. Nicodemus, one of the few in the Sanhedrin who becomes a believer, him and Joseph of Arimathea, he confesses that. But they plot the murder and the charges that they give are that he is the king of the Jews, right? They even recognize that, but they don't like it. Fast forward ahead. How many times have heretics come along in the Christian church? The bulk have ran after things where false teachers give itching ears what they want to hear. We end up having to have a great reformation where we restore Christ as the centrality of Scripture. 
The point of the question today is, how do you keep watch for the return of the king? Because it seems the bulk of people who profess to be believers don't. And the answer begins in our first verse. Jesus himself says, No one knows about that day or hour, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Watch, be alert and pray, because you do not know when the time will come. Do you hear the words of Jesus? No one knows about that day or hour. When he spoke these words, he's in his state of humiliation, which means he's not using all the powers of his godhood. His true God, he knew that day, but he's hidden it from his humanity, so he doesn't know when he speaks these words. He will when he rises from the grave and enters his state of exaltation. There's a reason, and it's actually answered right here in our text, why God has hidden the last day from us. He wants us to constantly be waiting. I can tell you as a pastor, I've seen it too many times. Too many people who have stopped keeping watch. Let's admit it, in our own sinful nature, if we knew, ah, December 3rd of the year 2022, that's when Christ is coming. I will eat, drink, and be merry and take it easy. And about November, I'll start getting serious about the Lord again. God wants us to constantly be vigilant. But do you know how many people don't listen to the words of Jesus here? No one knows about that day or hour. God has hidden it from us for a reason. It's because he wants us to keep our faith alive and exercised and constantly ready. But there are people who constantly don't even realize they're calling Jesus a liar as they search the scriptures for a Bible code. And every year somebody comes up and it is pure unbelief and screams out, I've cracked the code. I know the day. It never dawns on them that they're calling Jesus himself a liar. If there's a code in scripture which will give them the last day. And you know the ultimate sad thing is, is while they're busy searching the scripture to figure out the last day, they miss the whole point of scripture. All the Old Testament is about the coming King, our Messiah. All the New Testament is about how he has come. And it's about keeping us ready and prepared for his return. How do you keep watch for the return of the king? You've got to know what you cannot know. This is an area God has hidden from me and he's done it for my own good, such as the last day. You know, another area God has hidden from you is why in the doctrine of predestination. Some people, they, 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 like Calvin, they try to pry into the secrets of the Lord and they make the scriptures say more than what they say. Calvin decided if you're going to hell, God predestined you for that. And if you're going to heaven, God predestined you for that. That's not what scripture teaches. The doctrine of predestination or election is meant to be pure comfort. But we always say, why me? God has hidden that from you. Instead, in faith, cling to his promise. Through baptism, I have promised to keep you in spite of the stubborn resistance of your sinful nature and find comfort in that. That is what God wants you to do. Let's take a look at the Lord's Supper. Jesus says, take and eat. This is my body. Take and drink. This is my blood. And he explains it's for the forgiveness of sins and so on. But too many people will not let remain hidden what God has hidden. 
How? How is this Christ's body and blood? Well, it's because he's true God. And if he says so, it is the case. Some change his word to become so that only the accidents of bread and wine are left. And they'll even, shall we say, in an idolatrous way, worship the bread and the wine. They have pried open the secrets of God in doing so. And in the case, they may be believers in Jesus as their Savior, but it's unbelief in what Jesus' words say about the Lord's Supper. Others scratch their head and they say, you know, if we take this wafer and we examine it, even after the institution, it's always a wafer. Never mind the part where Jesus says, take and eat. If it's not received, it's not the body and blood of the Lord. So they can't stand that and they try to pry open the secrets of God. And to do it, they have to change the word of God again. And they change it to this represents. So that it remains mere bread and wine and there is no body and blood there, just merely representing. And they rob themselves of a tremendous comfort. God has hidden from us. All we can say is it's a miraculous way. But when it is instituted and we take and eat and we take and drink in a way that God has not defined to us, but by faith we know we're getting the body and blood of Christ. And the irony is that very body and blood of Christ that by faith we're qualified to take and we believe we're getting, that body and blood of Christ strengthens that faith. One more. As Martin Luther asked in his catechism about baptism, how can mere water do such wonderful things? Well, some will once again say it merely represents. But you, by faith, know it's because it's not just water. It's water combined with the word, I baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and that God has promised that he sends his Holy Spirit through baptism. It's John chapter 3. And that God has promised he seals his Holy Spirit in your heart so that all who believe and are baptized will be saved. How do you keep watch for the return of the king? Know what you cannot know. God has hidden these things from us because he wants us to cling to them by faith. How, Lord, I will doff my thinking cap and say you are wiser than me, but by the faith that you, O Lord, have given me, I trust your word. And that keeps us prepared. Now, the second way you've probably already figured out, as Jesus says, no one knows about that day or hour, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Watch, be alert and pray, because you do not know when the time will come. We wouldn't even know that this was hidden from us if we didn't have the word of God. So how do you keep watch for the return of the king? By hearing his word. And it's in his word that his law shows us we are sinners who need a savior. And it's in his word. And this is the main point of all of his word. The savior has taken on human flesh. He has saved us. And through that word, he gives us faith so that we know that Jesus is our savior, our king who is coming. And so that very word keeps us prepared for every time we come to it. God is nourishing our faith as he does with the word combined with bread and wine in the Lord's Supper, as he has done in the word combined with water in baptism. How do you keep watch for the return of the king? The biggest way, the one that I want to scream out to you is by hearing his word where he constantly exercises and builds up our trust. Next in this, Jesus says in verse 34, 
It's like a man going away on a journey. When he left his home, he put his servants in charge and assigned what each one was to do. He also commanded the doorkeeper to keep watch. Each one is given an assignment, each one a task. And the big one is the doorkeeper, and we're going to get to him in a minute. But if you'll allow me to read my own literal translation of the Greek language there. Like a man on a journey who has left his house behind and who has granted to his servants the authority to each one for his work. Who granted to his servants the authority. God has given you gifts. And he has given you the authority to exercise your gifts. You are stewards of the gifts God has given you. There are natural and spiritual gifts that God has given to you to edify his body, the church. As in our second lesson in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 7, the Apostle Paul said, As a result, you do not lack any gift as you eagerly wait for the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ. Our little congregation has every gift God wanted it to have to keep each other prepared for the coming of the Lord. You've heard me say in Bible study, and I think you've heard me say from this pulpit before, one of the most amazing times I've ever seen natural and spiritual gifts in a Christian was a brother in Christ who was mentally handicapped. Mentally handicapped enough that it was hard to understand when he was speaking to you. His language was garbled. But he was always there with a handful of bulletins. And when you walked in that door, you know what it was like when the angels sang Alleluia, when a sinner repented and returned to faith in the Lord. Because that man had a natural and a spiritual gift that when you came into that church, you knew there was one brother in Christ who was elated that you were there. How he encouraged us simply by his joy in our coming to gather together with him in worship of the Lord. You have gifts. Now let me tell you some of the gifts God has not given that people get confused about. He has made you in charge, a steward of your gifts. Being bossy and telling other people what they need to be doing in the church and demanding it is not a spiritual gift from God. That's a sinful gift. Demanding is not a gift from God. You are the steward of your gift. I have two kinds of people come and tell me I don't know what my gifts are. The first kind are the one that bother me. That's because you come, you plop down in the pew, you get the heck out, and you're not serving the Lord other than being fed by the Word. There's another kind. They say, Pastor, I don't know what my gifts are. And I go, oh my goodness, how could you not know this? It's amazing. When you're gone, our church notices your absence. Like that man I was telling you about. When he wasn't in church, you didn't feel nearly as welcomed. He had such a wonderful gift. You don't have to tell the sun to shine. That's what God created it to do. And it never ceases to amaze me with brothers and sisters in Christ how many their gifts shine like the sun and they're completely naive of it because they have those servants' hearts. How do you keep watch for the return of the king? Hearing and trusting his word, but then we serve that word with the natural and spiritual gifts he's given us. So we use those gifts, trusting in the Lord. Now, I mentioned that this kind of culminates in the gatekeeper. So we're told, it's like a man going away on a journey. When he left his home, he put his servants in charge and assigned what each one was to do. He also commanded the doorkeeper to keep watch. In many ways, this is your own heart. 
By coming to the Word, you are constantly keeping your heart wide open, waiting for the Savior's return, where the Holy Spirit already lives and you're already connected. But allow me to make another connection. He entrusted to you two keys. One is the binding key of sin. The other is the loosing key of sin. This is law and gospel. And he has assured you what you bind on this earth is bound in heaven. You're locking the gates of heaven. And what you loose on earth, you're locking the gates of hell and flinging wide the gates of heaven. This is using the law, which shows us our sin, shows us our need for a savior. This is using the gospel, which shows people they have a savior and their sins are forgiven, telling them, your sins have been removed in Christ. Now, there's a warning here. We have to be prepared. We have to be in the word. Because if you do not know how to distinguish and how to apply the law and the gospel, you will botch this. We call them legalists. I'm going to use an example that has never happened in our church, so it doesn't seem like I'm picking on anyone at all. But imagine if somebody were suddenly to decide that unless you wear a blue plaid bonnet, you have no business coming into our church and sat at our doors telling every woman you can't come in unless you have a blue plaid bonnet. But any man who came in wearing one, that person turned around and decided you can't do that. That doesn't glorify God. Where in scripture does it say you can't wear a blue plaid bonnet? There are personalities that tend to, they love so many rules, and they make great, for example, accountants and bookkeepers, but they can turn around and shove God's law down your throat and limit your Christian freedom because they don't understand it. How can we stand up to that? We go right back to being in the Word. Many an experienced pastor, many a retired pastor has told me, especially when I was studying to be a pastor, when in doubt... Err on the side of the gospel. Use the loosing key. But we can go, and if we never proclaim the law, if we never use the binding key, then sin has no point and we no longer need a savior. It's through being in the word. And you're going to make mistakes. So you learn from those mistakes and you come right back to the word. The last way that you keep watch for the return of the king is using the binding and loosing key on yourself and with your brothers and sisters in Christ. And don't kid yourself, when you share the good news of salvation with an unbeliever, you are actually using those keys as they are brought into the church. How do you keep watch for the return of the king? Know what you cannot know. What God has hidden from you, he's given you the faith to believe he's hidden for a reason. Hear and trust his word. There he creates, strengthens, nourishes your faith. And through that, then you use the gifts he's given you. He's entrusted them to you to be a steward of them. And one of the greatest gifts he's given to every one of us is he's made us priests in his kingdom. So we use the binding and loosing key. That is how we are the doorkeeper. Praise be to the Lord who has come, has saved us, and will return, and through his word will find us ready. Amen. He who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Amen. We confess our faith using the words of the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. 
he descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Let us pray. Eternal Father, throughout the centuries you repeated and affirmed your promise to send the offspring of the woman to crush the serpent's head. Through your prophets of old, you continually directed the eyes of your people to the advent of their Savior. We praise you, O Lord, for keeping your promise and sending your Son to destroy the works of the devil. As we prepare to celebrate the birth of our King, use your mighty word to shatter our pride and rouse us from spiritual slumber and apathy. Move us to take to heart the words of John. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. You sent your Son to redeem us from sin. Let this good news be our joy and strength. Use it to cheer the lonely, encourage the fearful, and give hope to the despairing. In these days before Christmas, spare us from the stress of deadlines and the frenzy of commercialism. Fill our lives with the message of your peace and the music of your grace. Direct our eyes not only to the manger, but also to the skies, where we will see your Son coming again, not as a lowly child, but as the Lord of Lords. Lift up our hearts in joyful anticipation of that day. We ask you, O Lord, to remember our brothers and sisters to whom trials and troubles have come. Let the knowledge that you rule as King empower us to share with others the glory of your rule now and in all eternity. We ask you to rule in your kingdom of power to keep the COVID virus from spreading in our congregation and bless the vaccines that we may return to our normal gathering together with all of our brothers and sisters in Christ. Hear us, Lord, as we bring you our private petitions. Come quickly, Lord Jesus, in your grace, in your power, and in your glory. Come, Lord Jesus. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord look upon you with favor and give you peace. Amen.